I don't want to fall. <laughs> okay. Hello. <laughs> Could we begin with just a moment of prayer? Thank you, God, for this time. Oh, God, help us to hear you and to know your voice this day. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, Pastor Aaron and I spent some time in Oklahoma City attending the Kansas-Oklahoma Conference of the United Church of Christ's annual meeting. And Colonial Church is part of the conference, a group of about 50-plus churches throughout Kansas and Oklahoma. And we gather each year to uh, meet with other churches and, and other ministers and, and lay folks as well um, to talk about the church and where we're headed um, as, a, as a region. And some of you might also know that recently I began a full-time position um, with the National Ministries of the United Church of Christ, working as what is called a generosity officer. And basically, what that means is I, I help people, uh, I help to raise funds for the wider church, and I, I help to connect donors with ways that they can contribute to the great things that the United Church of Christ is doing. So at, at the annual meeting, I, I had a booth uh, for my new job, and it was all set up, and I had these materials to share, and buttons, and pens and swag and all of that to offer, and this big bowl of candy. And I was, you know, I was kind of lonely. Nobody was really visiting the table to talk to the money guy. Um, but up comes this, like, 16-year-old, 17-year-old up to the table. And so I immediately launch into my spiel. You know, there's so much that the United Church of Christ is doing in the world. We have so many different ministries and efforts and ways that you can get connected and involved. And, and I looked at them and I said, hey, you know, what brought you over to the table today? And they looked at me for a moment and looked down and looked back up and said, well, I came for the candy. <laughs> That's fair. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about money and, and meaning. And money is often a challenging thing for us to talk about, right? We're conditioned not to want to talk about it. And this can be especially true in churches, right? Nobody likes the annual appeal conversations, if we're honest. But talking about money is essential because it's our financial resources uh, that not only allows us as a church community to function, to keep the lights on and all of that, but it, it is truly how our world functions right now. And so we cannot separate conversations about money with our time together at church. Because it's the decisions that we make together as disciples of Jesus that have a significant impact on the way our world works. And we see this in our theme these past weeks and in our movie tie-in of It's a Wonderful Life. And we see the differences between the Baileys and the Potters of the world. And many of us share with George Bailey our frustration and our anger over the way the world works. Let's watch. Borrow money. <laughs> what does that get us? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. And all because a few starry-eyed dreamers like Peter Bailey stir them up and fill their head with a lot of impossible ideas. Now, I just say... Just a minute. Just, just a minute. Now, hold on, Mr. Potter. Just a minute. Now, you're right when you say my father was no businessman. I know that. Why he ever started this cheap penny ante building alone, I'll never know. But neither you nor anybody else can say anything against his character because his whole life 
was why in the 25 years since he and Uncle Billy started this thing, he never once thought of himself. Isn't that right, Uncle Billy? He didn't save enough money to send Harry to school, let alone me. But he did help a few people get out of your slums, Mr. Potter. And what's wrong with that? Probably, here, you're all businessmen here. Don't it make them better citizens? Doesn't it make them better customers? You, you said that they, what'd you say just a minute ago? They, they had to wait and save their money before they even thought of a decent home? Wait, wait for what? Until their children grow up and leave them, until they're so old and broken down that they... Do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book. I'm talking about the building and loan. In our scripture today, we do not hear that it is evil to have money. But that what we do with that money is what makes us rich or not. It's how we look out for one another that defines our character. Let us prepare our hearts to hear the reading. from the letter to Timothy. Tell people who are rich at this time not to become egotistical and not to place their hope in their finances, which are uncertain. Instead, they need to hope in God, who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Tell them to do good, to be rich in the good things they do, to be generous and to share with others. When they do these things, they will save a treasure for themselves that is a good foundation for the future. That way, they can take hold of what is truly life. Last week, Pastor Aaron talked about the need for us to look inside of ourselves, to discover our own innate goodness and self-worth, and through that, to consider the ways in which we are living what young people might call our best life. One of the things we might consider, however, is that our best life cannot be lived in isolation. In fact, all of the great spiritual teachers from the Buddha to Jesus to Muhammad and more speak about the interconnectedness of all things. Now, this is in, in some ways distinct from the idea of prosperity as we see it in the world today, right? To be pros prosperous is what? To have a big house or a great car, success in our professional life, a well-diversified retirement plan, maybe. 
And yet what I find interesting is the word prosperity itself. Prosperare is the Latin root for the word, and it literally means to cause to succeed or, or to render happy. And so to be prosperous is to be assured not just of our own happiness or success, but of the success and happiness of all people. Because we can't be happy and we can't truly succeed unless we all have happiness and success. In our world today, we see great suffering and great pain. Economic disparity is prevalent in many parts of the world, and it is certainly the case in our country. And it's our focus on scarcity and lack, on, on feeling like there isn't enough to go around that causes many people to hoard their resources and their wealth, to keep it to ourselves because, we are told, we never know when our circumstances may change. And that's true. We don't know what life has in store for us. A colleague of mine at the United Church of Christ National Office, Jacqueline Owen, shared with us a story last week that had been shared with her by her own mother. She said that in the African village of her ancestors, many people would, would often have an abundance of rice, and still others would discover that they have an abundance of beans. And instead of staying home with their individual ingredients, they would meet together at a common pot where they would combine the rice and beans and the vegetables gathered from the fields and meat from the hunters and from multiple single ingredients an entire pot of stew could be prepared for the whole village. Everyone brought what they had, small as it might seem. We are often told that we do not have enough. We're told to keep our resources to ourselves, to focus on our own needs. And in the worst cases, we blame those that do not have the resources that we have come to have. We cast them in roles that have names like laziness, or we invite them to pull themselves up by their bootstraps or to just get a job. Often those comments are rooted in thinking that sadly comes from the church, a theological view that equates poverty and sickness with sin, and that ignores systemic oppression that people would prosper if only they worked hard enough or were good enough. And thankfully many movements have sprung up both inside and outside of the church that have helped to reframe this way of thinking, reminding people that no matter how hard someone works, many people, due to the color of their skin or where they live or other reasons, simply are not equipped with the resources they need to be successful or prosperous. And so the question remains, how can we be prosperous? How can we be happy when others struggle in so many ways? Now, this is not a guilt trip sermon, right? This is, this is not my attempt 
to get you to give more money to Colonial or to the UCC or to some other organization. This is an invitation to consider how we might be generous toward one another, how we might look out for one another. We might ask ourselves, who are we ultimately looking out for? Ourselves or one another? I'm reminded of the motto at the college where my husband Matt teaches at Washburn University in Topeka. The motto says, non nobis solum, not for ourselves alone. I love that vision for us. That's the vision of George Bailey that we see in the movie today. It's the vision that Jesus offers us to remind ourselves that we have, but what we have isn't ours alone. Just think of what we could do with this shift in perspective. Just think of what we could do if we brought all our ingredients to the cooking pot. What could we make together? Perhaps we could make something together that causes us to look around at our world, to be able to see it and to admire it, and to be able to say, hey, this is a wonderful life. May it be so, and may it be soon. Amen.